those of us uh, who are here, first of all, at our Sugarloaf campus, and those who are at our Mill Creek campus, and those who may be watching by live streaming, and that number is growing, we are certainly glad to have you with us today. Last week, if you happen to miss, or you're a guest of ours this morning, we began a series that we're calling Christmas Really. Because increasingly the question is asked by more and more people, even in our own culture and right here where we live, do you really believe in Christmas? I was at uh, an elementary school the other day, and uh, I was just thinking about how different it was from when I was in elementary school. When I was in elementary school, there were Christmas trees up, and we drew names, and we exchanged gifts, and, and everybody was saying Merry Christmas, and those days are gone. And, and uh, you know, if you think about it, and I, I want to kind of give a little credence to people out there that really say, I just don't buy this Christmas story. It really is a wonder, if you think about it, that there even is a holiday called Christmas, that, that, that we celebrate the birthday of a man named Jesus. Because, and let me tell you why, if you think about it, logically, we wouldn't really be having this holiday at all. Jesus, for example, never spoke at any time to more than a few thousand people. But 32% of the world's population, 2.2 billion people, call him their Lord. Matter of fact, there are many who don't even believe in Jesus that still celebrate the holiday. They, they don't believe in him. They don't love him. They don't have anything to do with him, but they still will put up the tree and the tinsel, and they'll even sing Christmas carols. Jesus' ministry only lasted three years. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but you know he never traveled more than 30 miles from where he was born? His entire ministry never left his own country, ever. And yet today, he has talked about and thought about more on the radio and the television and the internet than anybody else who's ever lived, though he never wrote one word in a book. More books have been published about him than any other figure in human history. Contrary to that beer commercial we see all the time, he is the most interesting man in the world. And the most amazing person who ever lived. A king named Herod could not kill him. The devil himself could not seduce him. The death that we all experience one day could not destroy him. The grave could not hold him. At least that's what those of us who really believe in Christmas say. And yet, what I just said to you, those very beliefs that even bring us to this church, cause both Christmas and the Christ of Christmas to be a source of great controversy and debate. And let me tell you why. Nobody has an argument about when this baby was born. As a matter of fact, that's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why the world celebrates Christmas. It's because of a date that we kind of arbitrarily picked out about when this baby was born. But the problem is that really isn't what Christmas is all about. What really makes Christmas Christmas is not when this baby was born. It's not even about where he was born. Oh, we love to sing, oh, little town of Bethlehem. And, and I've been to Bethlehem many times. I wish you could go there. It's a beautiful little town. But that's really not what Christmas is all about. What Christmas is all about and what causes all the controversy is not when the baby was born or where the baby was born, but who this baby really was. Because you see, if you were to go out on the street, if you were to go to the mall this afternoon, I would not advise that, but if you were to go to the mall this afternoon and you were to just kind of walk around and you were just simply to ask this question, who, to, who is Jesus to you? 
Who do you say that Jesus is? You get all kinds of answers. Some would say, oh, he was a good teacher. Uh, some would say he was the highest form of mankind. Others would say that he was one of many gods, or he was a very high-ranking angel, or he was a great prophet. And quite frankly, if you were talking about a very normal, run-of-the-mill human being, there would be great compliments. It would be an honor to be called any of those things or all of those things. The problem is, all of those opinions miss who Jesus really was. Because let's just say that Jesus was the highest form of mankind. Let's just say that he's one of many gods, but we're going to become a god one day just like that. Or, or let's just say he was a high-ranking angel or a great prophet. Let's just say he was all of those things. If he was all of those things put together, they would never account for his fame or his followers or the faith that people put in him. So we keep coming back to the question, who is this Jesus that we celebrate his birth every single year? Who is this man named Jesus? And oh, by the way, why do we celebrate his birth the way, unlike uh, we celebrate anyone else's? We don't celebrate the birth of George Washington this way. We don't celebrate the birth of Abraham Lincoln this way. And you could go to any country in the world and take the greatest people who ever lived in their country. They don't celebrate their birth like we around the world celebrate the birth of Jesus. Why do we even celebrate Christmas to begin with? Why do we even believe in Christmas? And this is what I want you to understand. This is important. We will never have the right perspective of Christmas <clears throat> if we don't have the right picture of Jesus. We will never have the right perspective of Christmas if we don't have the right picture of Jesus. I love the story of a little kindergartner. She was five years old. Her name was Jennifer. And so the teacher came into her class, and uh, she said, okay, I want everybody to get out a sheet of paper and a crayon, and they did. She said, I want everybody to draw a picture of their favorite person. Whoever your favorite person in the world is, I want you to draw a picture of that person. Well, immediately, that five-year-old girl, she began to work. She was drawing feverishly. So her teacher was kind of walking, you know, through the classroom, look, looking over everyone's work. And she thought it would be either, you know, the mom or the dad or maybe a brother or a sister or something like that. And when she came to Jennifer, it was just kind of a real different kind of a picture. And she said, Jennifer, who are you drawing? She said, well, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher said, Jennifer, nobody knows what God looks like. She said, they will in just a minute. Now, <laughs> the bottom line is this. We don't know what Jesus looked like. On the outside. You know, it's kind of amazing. The New Testament never gives us a description. I mean, it doesn't describe anything about Jesus. It doesn't tell us how tall he was. doesn't tell us how much he weighed. It doesn't tell us whether he had a small, medium, or a large frame. It doesn't tell us anything about his facial features at all. And by the way, hate to burst your bubble, but unlike many of the Western Christian depictions you may have seen growing up, he didn't have blonde hair. He didn't have blue eyes. He didn't have a white complexion. He didn't look like Brad Pitt, okay? I mean, as a matter of fact, his skin was most likely kind of a dark, kind of an olive color type of skin. His face would have had very pointed features. He most likely had a beard. And oh, by the way, contrary to popular opinion, he probably had short hair, not long hair. The truth of the matter is, we don't know what he looked like on the outside. But let me tell you why we celebrate Christmas. 
because we know exactly what he looked like on the inside. And for a picture of that, I want you to turn to a book in the Bible called Colossians. All right, it's over in the New Testament. Go to the book of Matthew, go to the Gospels, and just keep turning, and you'll come to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, General Electric Power Company. I've taught you that many times, all right? I want you to go to Colossians chapter 1, and what you're going to read, what we're about to read this morning, may be the most important and the clearest picture of Jesus found anywhere in all of the New Testament. As a matter of fact, I got up early this morning and I was reading this passage over again and just kind of letting it soak into my mind. And I thought about this. I, I, it hit me. If you had an MRI of Jesus, and on the other hand, you had a 3D image of Jesus, if you put those two things together, you would have this passage of Scripture. If you had a 3D image of Jesus and an MRI of Jesus, you would have this passage of Scripture. And what we're going to read this morning in a passage that was written by a man named the Apostle Paul, who, by the way, never met the earthly Jesus. He only met the risen Jesus. But even though he gives us this picture, I want you to notice what Paul does. He gives us three reasons why we ought to celebrate Christmas. He gives us three reasons why we ought to celebrate the birth of this baby. And he gives us three reasons why we ought not just to celebrate this baby, we ought to worship this baby. All right, this is, this is, you're going to love it. I hope you enjoy listening as much as I enjoy doing it because it really is. If I do say so myself, this is a pretty good sermon. I don't say that often. It's a pretty good sermon, okay? So anybody dares to go to sleep in the name of Jesus, Merry Christmas, slap them. All right, here we go. <laughs> Number one, we should worship Jesus as the ruler of creation. We should worship Jesus as the ruler of creation. Now listen to verse 15. He is the image. This is, this is so deep. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, the Greek word for image there is the word icon, E-I-K-O-N. That gives us an English word. What word do you think it gives us? Icon. Oh, you're brilliant this morning, okay? The Greek word icon gives us the English word icon. And it refers to a perfect replica, a precise copy, an exact representation. And what Paul was plainly telling us was Jesus was God in human flesh. In substance, he was God. In essence, he was God. In every way, he was God. Jesus Christ, the Son, was just as much God as God the Father. But understand, he was more than just a replica. He was more than just a reproduction. He was the real deal. So let me put it this way. Let's say that you had been alive 2,000 years ago. And you were one of the disciples, or you were one of the people at the Sermon on the Mount, or you were one of the Pharisees or the Sadducees that bumped into Jesus. Here's what I want you to understand. When you looked at Jesus, you saw God. If you listened to Jesus, you heard God. If you touched Jesus, you felt God. That's why Jesus could say in this incredible statement in John 14, 9, whoever has seen me have seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen God. If you've heard me, you've heard God. If you've touched me, you have felt God. Now, in case that's not plain enough, in case you just, you're saying, well, I'm not really sure that's what Paul meant, Paul doubled down on what he said and put it in a different way in verse 19. Here's what he says. For in him, two words are important, all, not part, all the fullness, all of it, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
Paul said, look, Jesus was fully God. He was not fractionally God. He was not partially God. He was fully God. Everything that God is as deity, Jesus is because Jesus is God. As a matter of fact, this is important. There was never a time, never has been a time, and never was a time when Jesus was not God. Because there are some people that think that when Jesus was born, divinity kind of moved into him when he became a man. That's wrong. Before the womb, Jesus was God. From the womb to the tomb, Jesus was God. Outside of the tomb, Jesus was God. He was not an outline of God. He was fully God. So here's what I, here's what I tell everybody. If you need God, you go to Jesus. If you come to God, you come to Jesus. If you love God, you love Jesus because Jesus is fully God. I was in the doctor's office this past week getting some routine blood work done. And uh, the lady was, uh, was taking my blood. Well, she was about to get ready to take my blood. And um, we, so I said, I don't think I've met you before. I've been coming here for a while. She said, well, I'm kind of new here. And she looked at my chart. And she said, no, I've not met you. I said, well, I, I told her who I was. And uh, she said, oh, yeah. She said, I, she said, I know. He said, you're, you're my doctor. I'm, he goes to our church. I'm his pastor. She said, yeah, you're, you're, you're the doctor's pastor. I said, yes, ma'am. I said, so uh, where do you go to church? She said, well, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I said, really? Well, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I said, what? I said, yeah, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. So I've never, I've never seen you down at the hall. I said, no, I don't go to the hall. I go to the church. She said, okay, I, I guess I mis you misunderstood me. I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I said, no, no, no. I, mis I understood you. I'm a Jehovah's Witness. She said, I, I don't understand. I said, there's only one difference between you and me, just once. What's that? I said, I believe Jehovah's Jesus. So I believe I'm a Jehovah's Witness. Je Jehovah's Jesus, Jesus, Jehovah. I am a Jehovah's Witness. He is fully God. But now watch this. This is, what, this is a way we don't think about Jesus very often. This is the amazing thing. That little baby that was laid in that cradle 2,000 years ago was the one who created the cradle. He was the one who created everything. Because here's what Paul says in verse 16. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now, let me just make that real plain so everybody can understand it. If Jesus didn't create it, it's not here. If it's here, he created it. Everything. What you can see, what you can't see, he created it. Whether it is thrones or dominions, whether it's on, in heaven or on earth, he created. And then Paul goes on to say this in verse 17. He said, he is before all things. Before there was time, there was Jesus. And there's never been a time when there was no Jesus. He is the only, think about this, this is a little bit deep now for some of you, just hang with me. He is the only person in history that from the moment he was born, he was as old as his father and older than his mother. Now think about that. The moment he was born, he was as old as his father, and he was older than his mother. 
Now, I could really delve into that even more, but I don't really have the time. What I want to show you, the next thing I want to show you is something that is just incredible. And I'm going to show you again when we get into the message how incredible this is. But I want you to listen to what Paul says next. This is incredible. And in him, all things hold together. In him, all things hold together. Paul said, this little baby that we celebrate his birth and this little baby that we sing about once, you know, every year at Christmas. He said, that little baby is not just the creator of all things. He is the connector of all things. Hey, you, you think you have a hard time holding it together? You ought to have his job. He holds all of it together. Everything together. He's holding everything. That means, let me tell you what, what that means. Let me tell you how great this statement is. Everything, and we're going to go back to science school, science class for just a minute. Everything is in the universe is made up of atoms, A-T-O-M-S, everything, everything. The stars are made up of atoms. The planets are made up of atoms. This, this, this platform is made up of atoms. This, this, this uh, uh, pulpit is made up of atoms. Our body, everything is simply a collection of atoms. Okay, everybody remember that. We're all just a bunch of atoms, right? Now, within the atom... The neutron is just slightly more massive than the proton, okay? So you've got within the atom, you've got protons and you've got neutrons. Now, you may not remember this, but protons have just a little bit more mass. They're just a little bit larger than the neutron. Now, what that means is that what's called, we call them free neutrons. That is, those that are not trapped within an atom if, if a neutron's not within an atom, it can decay and it can turn into a proton. I know this is deep, but just, just kind of hang with me. So you've got within these, you've got within this, this, this atom, you've got neutrons and you've got protons, okay? And you've got the protons, they are slightly larger than the neutrons. Well, you've got these free neutrons, they're not trapped within the atom. And if, if it's a free neutron just floating around, it can decay and turn into a proton. Now you say, okay, well, why is that such a big deal? All right, here's why it's a big deal. Let me back up. I misspoke. The neutron is a little more massive and larger than the proton. Here's why that's important. If the proton was larger than the neutron, because of its tendency to decay, the very universe that we live in would disappear. You understand that? If, 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 if the proton was larger than the neutron, with its tendency to decay, the very universe that we live in would disappear. Now, let me tell you why. A, a free proton, you've got, you can have free neutrons floating out there and free protons. Here's the difference. A free proton, unlike a free neutron, is simply a hydrogen atom. Now, if hydrogen atoms begin to decay, then everything made up of hydrogen would decay, right? So if you've got these protons floating out there by themselves, and the reason they don't is because they're attached to the neutron. Why are they attached to the neutron? Because the neutron is bigger than the proton, so it holds the proton in place. But if they were to begin to float out in outer space like a free neutron could, they would decay and they would turn into a hydrogen atom. If they did that, everything made of hydrogen would then begin to decay. So let me give you an example of what I mean. Do you know what the sun's made of? Anybody know what the sun's made of? Anybody know? Made up of hydrogen. The sun is made up of hydrogen, okay? If protons begin to float away from neutrons and begin to decay and become hydrogen atoms, and that would mean the sun would just melt away. 
You remember what water is? Water is what? H2O. What's the H stand for? Hydrogen. So if protons floated away and began to decay, that means that water would cease to exist. Well, the problem with that is 74% of the universe is made up of hydrogen. So if protons were, were larger than neutrons and began to float away from the neutrons and they began to, be, to decay, that means the entire universe would simply implode and just go away. Now, when you ask the brilliant scientist down at Georgia Tech this question, can you tell me why it is in an atom that the neutron is larger than the proton and it continues to hold the protons in the atom? Do you know what that brilliant scientist from Georgia Tech says? I don't know. He doesn't. Well, let's go deeper. Let's go smaller. Do you know how small an atom is? Atoms are the building blocks of molecules, which are the building blocks of matter. In other words, everything is made up of molecules. You and I are just a bunch of molecules put together. And molecules are made up of atoms, and atoms are so small. Listen to this. Atoms are so small, you can hide one half a, a million of atoms behind a single human hair. Behind a single human hair, you could put a half a million atoms, and you would never see them. Now, if you were to drill down to the center of one atom, you would find a nucleus with six positively charged protons and six negatively charged neutrons. Here's the picture of an atom right here. So this is an atom, right? You've got six protons and you've got six neutrons. Now remember, the neutrons are a little bit larger than the protons. That's what keeps them in place. Otherwise, if the protons were larger, they would just float off. They would then begin to decay and we just all, the whole universe would just simply kind of implode. Because one of the basic laws of physics is that like charges repel each other. And the reason why these protons are not rejecting each other is because they're held in place by these neutrons that are larger than the protons. So in other words, physically, the nucleus of every atom right now, physically, because we know that like charges, light charges repel, physically, every atom right now ought to be flying apart. In other words, physically, because we know that these protons have these light charges and they ought to be repelling, put it this way, every one of us right now ought to be going off like firecrackers. Every one of us in this room right now ought to be exploding in our seats. So you get in your car and you drive back down to Atlanta and you go back to Georgia Tech and you say to that science, can I ask you a question? What is holding all the nuclei of the atoms in the universe together? And there's only one thing he can say. I don't know. Because he doesn't know. So, I've got an idea, see, how all this is going to end. It all makes sense. Because you go read the scripture, and the scripture says that one day the earth itself is going to melt with such fervent heat it's going to appear to be a nuclear explosion. And all of a sudden, when you begin to study what, what Paul said about Jesus and who Jesus really is, it all makes sense. You know how this world's going to end? I bet you never thought about this. Jesus only has to do one thing for this whole world just to go up in smoke. Just put his hands in his pocket and quit holding the thing together. And it all just goes away.
That's the baby that we worship at Christmas. It's not just the baby that created all of this. It's the baby that connects all of this. It is the baby that holds it all together. You see, Jesus doesn't just hold the whole world in his hands. He doesn't just hold you and me in his hands. He holds the whole universe in his hands. He is the glue of the galaxies. He is the cement of creation. He is the ruler of all that there is. He is the ruler of all that we are. And that's why we ought to worship that little Christmas baby. It's just incredible to me. It's amazing to me that I realize the reason why I don't implode every, you ever feel like imploding? You ever feel like that? You know why you don't? Jesus won't let you. He just holds you together. He is the ruler of all creation. We ought to worship him as the ruler of all creation. Number two, we should worship Jesus as the leader of the church. Not just the ruler of creation, but the leader of the church. Listen to verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now listen to what he, what he just said. Jesus is not just the head of the church. He is the head of every church. Every church. No believer on earth, no matter what his title may be, is the head of the church. Now you've heard me say this before, right? Anything with no head is dead. Anything with two heads is a freak. Okay, anything with no head is dead, anything with two heads is a freak. The church only has one head, and that is Jesus. That's why the church is called the body. There's a reason for that. Everybody that's living has a head. And what does the body do? The body does what the head tells it to do. So, put simply, we here in our church, we take our orders from Jesus and nobody else. And then Paul says, he's not only the head of the church, he said, he is the beginning of the church. Now, this is really appropriate for us for this reason. I am the founding pastor of this church, but I am not the founder of this church. Jesus is the founder. I'm the founding pastor. He is the founder. And I realize that's not normal, right? Because normally when you start something, it's yours. If you start a business, it's your business. If you start a family, it's your family. If you start a bank account, it's your money. But no matter who starts a church, it's not his church. It is Jesus' church. And you say, well, why does he have the right to call every church his church? Because Paul also, also goes on to say, he is the firstborn from the dead. Now, you may have thought about this before, but when we talk about Jesus being raised from the dead, do you understand that Jesus is not the first person that was ever raised from the dead? As a matter of fact, when you go back and read, uh, just in the Old Testament alone, there were at least three people that were raised from the dead. We go to the New Testament, we find that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And yet Paul said, he is the firstborn from the dead. Now, what does that mean? Well, the word firstborn means to have the greatest rank or be the most important. You say, okay, why is it that Jesus, who has been raised from the dead, is greater than anybody else that has been raised from the dead? Well, there are three simple reasons. First of all, he raised himself from the dead. Lazarus couldn't raise himself from the dead. The widow could not raise her son from the dead in the Old Testament. Nobody that was ever raised from the dead ever did it on their own. Jesus raised himself from the dead. Number two, Jesus is the only one who has ever been raised from the dead that will never die again. You know, the sad thing about all these other people got raised from the dead, they had to do it all over again. You ever thought about that? Lazarus had to die a second time. 
right? But when Jesus was raised from the dead, he never had to die again. And finally, Jesus is the only one that has the power or can give the power to raise someone else from the dead. So here's what I want to say, and this is, we're going to move on because this is not my major point. If Jesus Christ is not the leader of a church, it's not a church. If you don't hear anything else, listen. If Jesus Christ is not the leader of a church, it is not a church. The thing that makes the church the church is not the pastor. It is not the people. It is not the music. It is not the money. The thing that makes the church the church is Jesus. And we ought to worship that Christmas baby because he is the ruler of creation. He is the leader of the church. Now watch this last thing. We should worship Jesus as the Savior for the Christian. We should worship Jesus as the Savior for the Christian. Now this is where all this kind of comes to a head. And let's just, so we begin here in verse 19. Paul says, for in him, that is in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, now this is where it's all going, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now this is where it all comes to a head. The reason why I really believe in Jesus and really believe in Christmas is not because of just who Jesus was. The reason why I celebrate Christmas and believe in Christmas is because of what Jesus did. Because Jesus Christ is God, listen, He alone can do what nobody else can do. He can take the hand of God because He was God. And He could take the hand of a man because he was a man, and he could reconcile God and man together. Because he was who he was, Paul said, he was able to do what he did. Let me tell you why this is so important. If he had just come as God, he just showed up one day, and let's say he did all these miracles, and let's say he proved beyond a shadow of a doubt, he was God. He said, okay, you want to know what God looks like? This is what God looks like. If he had done all of that and then just left and went back to heaven, we could have never been reconciled to God. Or, if he had come down as God and said, okay, let me show you how God would live as a human being. And so he lived and kind of set an example of how we ought to live and then went right back to heaven. We could never be reconciled to God. That's not what this, this God-man did. He comes to this planet. He's born of a virgin. He's born as God. He is God. He is man. He lives just like we do. And then he dies on a cross, sheds his blood so that we could have our sins forgiven and we could be reconciled to God. And this is why this is so important. And this is why so many people miss Christmas every year. You cannot separate the cradle from the cross. You cannot separate the birth of Jesus from the death of Jesus. You cannot separate the deity of Jesus from the death of Jesus. As a matter of fact, that word to reconcile that we just read, it literally means to change or to exchange. So let me make it real simple. Reconciliation is the restoration of a relationship. That's what it is. Reconciliation is the restoration of a relationship. Because when two people are separated, 
Well, it doesn't matter why, but because there's a difference between them or whatever. When two people are separated, they're on the outs with each other, the only thing they need is to be reconciled. They don't need to be lectured. They don't need to be talked to. They don't need to have someone come say, let me, get, let, me, let me give an example to you. This is what you ought to be doing. They simply need to be brought together. One hand should be taken here. One hand should be taken there. And those two should be brought together. And here's why, this is, why Christmas is such a big deal. From the moment every one of us was born, from our very first breath, we were separated from God by our sinful nature. And the only remedy for separation is reconciliation. And yet Paul says the moment you leave that cradle and you go to a cross and you kneel at the foot of that cross and you get under his blood that was shed for you, Paul said at that moment, God signs a peace treaty and it lasts forever. Jesus takes your hand, Jesus takes God's hand, Jesus joins your hands together, never again to be separated. Now, you may have noticed something. If you were paying attention, I hope you, you saw this. I said that we should worship Jesus as the Savior for the Christian. If you were kind of paying attention, you may have thought to yourself, wait a minute. Uh, I thought Jesus was the Savior for the world. No, he's not the Savior for the world. You say, what? No, he is not the Savior for the world. He is the Savior of the world. But he is only the Savior for those who receive him and trust him and believe in him and surrender to him. There's a difference between, there's a difference between being the Savior of someone and being the Savior for someone. Oh, now make no mistake, Jesus is the Savior. He literally gave his body for our body on the cross. He literally shed his blood for us. And he did it so he could bring us together never to be separated again. And I don't mean just spiritually. I mean literally. I mean when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he came to connect us, to hold us together, to bring us together, not just spiritually, but literally. And this will be worth coming to church for. I'm not the first one to discover this. I'm not the first one to talk about it. I won't be the last one to talk about it. But have you ever, anybody ever studied or has anybody ever told you literally, I'm being literal, why our bodies stay together? What's really holding our bodies together? This is fascinating to me. Our bodies are held together by what are known as laminins, L-A-M-I-N-I-N-S. Our bodies are held together by laminins. Now, this is real deep, but I'll make it real simple. Laminins are cell adhesion molecules. Remember, we're all made up of, of you know, our body's made up of atoms and molecules, and really, it kind of all goes into cells. We're all, you know, we're, we're, we're a body of cells, right? Well, what holds one cell next to another cell in our body is what's called as laminin. So laminin is what you might say is the connector of the human body. In other words, if we did not have these cell adhesive qualities called laminin, we literally would all just fall apart. I'm not being funny when I say that. We'd literally just crumble, we'd fall apart. That's what's holding our bodies together. The only thing is what's called laminin. It's a cell adhesive and it holds our cells together. Now here's the amazing thing. 
I want you to I want to show you what a laminin looks like. Go look in any medical book, and this is what you'll see. That's a laminin. That's what's holding us together. So I go down to Georgia Tech, and I knock on the door of this scientist, and I say to him, you recognize what that is? Oh, yeah, I know what that is. Can you tell me what that is? Yeah, that's a laminin. And, and tell me, why is that so important to me? What, 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 has that got anything to do with me? Oh, yeah, you wouldn't be alive without that. What do you mean? You'd fall apart. What do you mean I'd fall apart? Well, that's what holds your body together. It's a cell adhesive. It's the only thing keeping you the only thing keeping you together right now is that laminin. So I say to this brilliant scientist, can you tell me why that's in the shape of a cross? And there's only one thing he can say. You want to say it with me? I don't know. Well, for once, I know more than the scientists at Georgia Tech. Because you see, I do know. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. And it is Jesus Christ on the cross that brings us together and holds us together. And if we place our faith in him one day, this Jesus on the cross will make sure we are all in heaven together for he is the mirror image of God let's pray together